From Schwartz Media, I'm Ruby Jones. This is 7am. As a hard-left Labor warrior famous for fighting Tories, many expected Anthony Albanese to be the sort of opposition leader who doesn't back down. But the pandemic has seen a more muted Albanese emerge and left many wondering what he and the Australian Labor Party actually stand for. This comes at a time when other Labor leaders, like New Zealand's Jacinda Ardern, have leveraged their values into electoral success. Today, writer for the monthly Richard Cook on Anthony Albanese's leadership and whether the Labor Party is out of step with progressive politics worldwide. Richard, a couple of weeks ago in New Zealand, Jacinda Ardern won a second term in government. Can you talk me through that victory and what you think it says about progressive politics? Well, yeah, I mean, it's uh, a landslide victory, first of all. New Zealand Prime Minister Jacinda Ardern has made history, her Labor Party recording a landslide victory in the country's election. From memory, I don't think that there's been a win like that in New Zealand since the 1940s. New Zealand has shown the Labor Party its greatest support in at least... 50 years. And this was after a scenario in which New Zealand restructured their electoral system to try and make it so that people had to govern in coalitions. So an outright victory in those circumstances by itself is a huge achievement. With almost 50% of the vote entrusting her with another term in office. Step forward together. Let's keep moving. And when you look at the sort of state of progressive politics federally in Australia, uh, it really feels like a very significant contrast. What in particular do you think stands out in terms of that contrast? Well, I mean, I think a good example of that is that both in New Zealand and in Canada, the legalisation of cannabis has become a big issue for the left. And what we've seen over the last three years is that support for cannabis law reform is increasing, has been increasing over time. So, Jacinda Ardern, have you ever used cannabis? Yes, I did, a long time ago. That, that seems a very, very long way off in Australia because people are spooked by the tabloid culture here. They, they don't think that there's votes in it. They're, they're not willing to sort of put themselves out there like that. Alan Jones possibly has a more socially moderate view on this than the official line of the Labor Party. So I think that's an example of where those sort of bold, socially progressive initiatives have have stalled here. We saw something similar with gay marriage. You know, Australia instituted it later than Alabama did. We're pretty slow on the uptake these days. Okay, so Australian politics is less progressive than what we're seeing in New Zealand. And on some issues, the Labor Party here is unwilling to take a more bold stance. So how do you think that Anthony Albanese, the the party leader, fits into that context? I think that he has struggled to get his message across. Sometimes that message has been clear. Tonight I announced that a Labor government will, from 1 July 2022 remove the annual cap on the childcare subsidy, eliminating once and for all 
the disincentive to work more hours. Sometimes it's been firmly in the Labor tradition. The pandemic has shown that Labor's values of fairness, security and the power of government to change lives for the better are the right values in a crisis. They are also and sometimes it's been a, a signalling exercise where you've really wondered who its intended audience is. Uh, the LNP Green Coalition that occurred in this election campaign uh, should be called out for what it is. Uh, the Liberal National Party... And while all over the world people are responding to the pandemic saying the role of the state is going to change, we're going to look at things like universal basic income, one of Labor's first instincts, I mean, they did get ahead on wage subsidies, but they then turned around and said, well, the Liberals are running up this huge debt and deficit. Billions of dollars are being added to what will be a record deficit and record debt. That is a very strange concern to have at that time. We'll examine uh, the detail. It's good that the government's finally woken up at some of the waste in this scheme. And it's really a way of trying to bolster these supposedly shaky foundations that the ALP has on economic issues federally. You know, that, that is a line borrowed from Tony Abbott and it's a line that he used to hurt them. The former government was spending like drunken sailors. Uh, they were spending... So when Albanese is drawing on things like that, and my understanding is that that was a captain's decision, if you like, uh, he's trying to speak to that weakness, and I think that has been very ineffective. OK, so let's talk a bit more about Anthony Albanese's leadership style. How does he sell himself, and, and what do you think people expect from him? Well, I think those two things are already in contrast with each other. You know, Albo is someone who famously described his life's ambition as fighting Tories. I like fighting Tories. That's what I do. That's what I do. It has been... uh, And instead of becoming a sort of carping, negative, aggressive opposition leader, like in the Tony Abbott mould, he instead found himself in a situation where Scott Morrison is facing a couple of crises in a row. First the fires... And then the pandemic, I think for a Labor politician to be a kind of aggressive counterbalance to that would be quite difficult. Uh, I think it would strike the wrong tone. So there's already a tension where you have Albo, who is a fighter, you know, he's a fighter with a big heart, put in a situation where he really can't fight and also he doesn't want to. So people start to wonder who he is now. And I don't think we still have a clear answer to that. Okay, so if Albanese is not coming out swinging, he's in a situation where he can't really fight and therefore we don't know who he is, what does that mean for the party that he leads, the ALP? Yeah, I mean, I think that the tentativeness of it, the the kind of pull punches aspect of it is because they are moving so cautiously. I mean, the ALP here have taken a licking. They are still hurting from uh, leadership ructions, which are partly reflecting the fact that social democratic parties like the ALP are struggling or have struggled all over the developed world. You know, it's easy to look at these chops and changes and think that they're just personality issues. You know, people just don't like Bill Shorten. In fact, what is happening is what the Labor Party represents 
and who it represents is shifting and that means that areas like leadership become contentious because of that. We'll be back in a moment. For Sloane Crosley, writing about the loss of a friend may not have provided catharsis, but it did allow for the possibility of a better ending. Like you have this amazing meal that's this friendship, and then you have a really, 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 really bad dessert with shards of glass in it. And then like the book is like, you know, those little chunks of chocolate that come with the bill. I'm Michael Williams. Join me for this week's episode of Read This as I talk to Sloane Crosley about her latest, Grief is for People. Listen wherever you get your podcasts. As a a. 7am listener, you value the story behind the headlines. That's why you should read Post, a free daily newsletter bringing you the top five news stories of the day, summarising each of their key points. Sign up today at thesaturdaypaper.com.au slash newsletters. Richard, over the past few decades, there have been some big structural changes to the way that the Australian economy operates and therefore to who the Australian worker is. So let's talk about those changes and the impact that they've had on who votes for Labor. Those changes have been have been very, very significant. You know, if you go back pre-1970s, um, the graduate proportion of the population in Australia is small. The number of people who are union members is high and there's a very large public sector and some people say that this decline goes all the way back to the 1950s, the, the number of people who are kind of the natural voter blocks of parties like the ALP, who are not graduates, they are union workers and public sector workers, that started to decline. The other aspect is that traditional working class constituencies that used to flock to the Labor Party aren't a guaranteed lot for them anymore. That's really to do with the changing nature of work. So there's a very fine balance they have to strike where they can't talk, you know, they say they're not going to talk about things like the top end of town anymore, but they also have to advocate on behalf of people who are less well off. Another cohort, and I think this is very important in Australia and weirdly kind of under-discussed, I mean, people talk about Howard's Battlers a lot, but the, the kind of fortunes of tradies in Australia of tradesmen and tradespeople is quite different from what's happened in other countries. And that tends to be an asset-owning class. That tends to be an entrepreneurial class and also, to some extent, a socially conservative class of people that have carved this kind of shape out of the ALP that they've never been able to get back. That, that is quite distinct from what's happened in other countries, I think. And so where has this left the ALP? What has their response been to this shift? How have they tried to get those voters back? Their response has kind of changed over time and they've tried out lots of different things. One of them is to sort of insist on their conservative credentials. You know, you look at people like Julia Gillard being opposed to gay marriage, for example. What I believe, uh, what the Labor Party believes, is that marriage is between a man and a woman. That is the marriage act... As it's to be very harsh on immigration. From now on, any asylum seeker who arrives in Australia by boat will have no chance of being settled in Australia as refugees. It is to 
constantly sort of try and repudiate the Greens and the possibility of coalition with the Greens again. Well, I see that the Greens are sort of trailing their coat and say, look at me. The fact of the matter is that if we get elected, we'll be making decisions in a Labor cabinet. But then if you look at the, you know, the Gillard approach was to be in coalition with the Greens. So they have tried out different things to, to sort of find this natural supporter base or new supporter base to replace the old one. I think if you look at the, the people that they're going to for advice, um, the parties that they are trying to model themselves on from elsewhere, they are pursuing a bit of a kind of what you could call a liberal light strategy that uh, they are following the lead of conservative government and trying to make sure that they appeal to people in marginal seats who are more socially conservative. I think that that is a hard sell. There is not very much evidence of that working elsewhere in the world. But I think they're really looking to the UK, where the Corbyn experiment failed, uh, Labor has moderated, the Conservatives have faltered, and they are now in a, in a decent position to uh, potentially win government again. I think that the ALP would like to do something like that. But their approach and, and the person that they've chosen to lead that approach is, again, quite different from UK Labor. Right, and the person that they have chosen to lead them, the former conviction politician Anthony Albanese, how is he grappling with this change in, in the demographics of the people who would vote for Labor? I think that he still is a conviction politician, um, but he is being forced for strategic reasons to modulate some of those convictions. There's also, uh, I think, another aspect where he feels like the ground has shifted under his feet. You know, he's uh, a guy from Marrickville. Uh, he's now had to deal with a whole new group of people in Marrickville who are, you know, essentially hipsters or hipster adjacent. I mean, he talks about how people would never talk to him about gay marriage and then we're just suddenly, out of nowhere, constantly hammering him and the Labor Party over its stances on gay marriage that they had, in some cases, had no problems with only a few months before. That is something that he has struggled with. So he is still trying to advocate on behalf of those people. You've seen him now start looking at university cuts as one of the sort of priorities for the ALP, that wasn't always the case, especially in the past, and it has probably limited efficacy now. Um, but that is a, a way that he's trying to bridge this divide, I think. Mm. And so you're saying that Marrickville, which is the area that Albanese represents, is sort of representative of this, this broader shift that the ALP is facing? I think so, absolutely. You know, that that's, uh, if he was going to lose that seat, he would lose it to the Greens. Um, and that is, uh, that is not something that seemed plausible uh, even, say, 10 years ago, 15 years ago. Richard, given everything that we've been discussing, do you think that Anthony Albanese can beat Scott Morrison? What do you think Labor's chances of electoral success are at the moment? Look, I don't think that they're great, and that's partly because unless you're hideously incompetent, Incumbents just have an enormous advantage at the moment. If you take on the pandemic and do it well, uh, it's debatable how much credit Scott Morrison deserves for that, considering the approach has really been led by state premiers. But Australia's 
response to COVID has been largely successful. I think taking out a Prime Minister under those circumstances is a hard, hard thing to do. Richard, thank you so much for talking to me about all of this. My pleasure. Thank you. With award-winning news coverage and reviews, The Saturday Paper is essential reading for everybody. For a limited time, subscribe to a year of our quality, independent journalism, and you'll receive The Saturday Paper's stainless steel coffee cup, made in collaboration with Fresco, for free. Subscribe from just $2.10 a week. Simply visit thesaturdaypaper.com.au forward slash offer. The Saturday Paper. No hot takes. Also in the news today... Australia Post Chief Executive Christine Holgate has resigned from her role with immediate effect. Her resignation comes after an investigation was ordered into the purchase of four luxury watches worth $20,000 as gifts for senior employees. And in Queensland, the opposition leader Deb Frecklington has stood down following her party's defeat in the state election on the weekend. A new LNP leader is expected to be announced in the coming days. I'm Ruby Jones. This is 7am. See you tomorrow.